0: Anyway, I'm going to start today um, with—I didn't mean to not have that on the tape—but um, I'm going to start today by reading you something that I wrote about my mental week in my life in 2008. It was in September, and it's, I wrote this a long time ago. I wrote it like I was going to teach a lesson, and I—I I don't know why, because I didn't even know I was ever going to be a teacher. So it's—it's it's weird how that—that that kind of thing happens. But the, the week in September of 2008, I went on a mission trip with a group of gals here at, um, at Heritage. In fact, a couple of them are in this room with me today. And, um, and I mention that only because in my own walk, I was having the most amazing spiritual walk time in my life. But back home, unbeknownst to me, my physical world was falling apart. And so I wrote this about that week in my life. And Empirical and just reading portions of it. But I stand in my office staring at a print of this famous piece of art. I'm stunned. I look at the title that says Canyon of Dreams. It's a picture of Wall Street back in the 20s. My husband is a stockbroker. For the last 40 years, he has poured his life into this canyon. He's invested not only his money. But his time, his career, every pore of his being has been spent learning about, digesting, and then investing other people's hard-earned money into this canyon of dreams known as the stock market. He's good at it. He cares deeply about the people that have come to him for his expertise. He spends hours making sure that portfolios are balanced and diversified and meets the client's expectations of risk. Only so much is in his control. The market has a mind of its own and doesn't always go as predicted. There are the ups and downs. Over the long haul, it has proven to be a great means for people to secure their financial security. But what about true security? For us personally, it is something completely else. In 2008, our future was secure, or so we thought. Chris had made his living at Merrill Lynch, and Merrill Lynch was the major player in the financial world. It had led the world in the finest minds of finance. It had always hired some of the top CEOs in the world, those people that made the major decisions. The value of their stock had steadily increased, then split, and then multiplied. As an employee of Merrill, all future earnings and delayed compensation for retirement were tied into Merrill Lynch stock. There was not the opportunity to diversify those funds into other areas. You were married, as it were, to Merrill Lynch. In 2008, it became evident that Merrill Lynch was a part of the junk mortgages that were given out to huge masses of people that were in way over their heads with large mortgages for properties that were over overpriced. The once proud leader in the financial world began to crumble. What seemed impossible only days before became a possibility. Merrill Lynch began to tremble and, to, and then to fall like a house of cards. What we had believed was our security was on the brink of total collapse. Our canyon of dreams became the abyss of the soul, a canyon of despair. We watched the ultimate sale of this proud little company fall into the hands of a bank. We watched as the leadership was ousted and new leadership t- took over. We watched as the truth slowly slipped out of the poor decisions, decisions made solely for greed, were dripped out into the media. The hundreds of thousands of employees that had believed in Mother Merrill who had who had trusted their futures, their very lives to the leadership, were suddenly stripped of their faith in the company that they had spent their lives to build. In one week, the week that I was in Africa, we stood by watching as the stock prices dropped from $98 per share to less than $6, where we a retirement income of a value of $100,000 was suddenly worth less than 6500 and a million-dollar state suddenly was worth less than 62000 the very thing those brokers had prided themselves on doing for others for all those years of securing retirement to their clients now saw their own retirements radically diminished. What does a man do with that? What happens to a man who spends his life in this canyon of dreams and when find, when finds these dreams are shattered? It jars the very core of what you are and what you believe in. But the bigger question is, what does God say about all this? Jesus answered that question in Matthew six nineteen through 21 This is what he warns us of. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In America, it's easy to see where our treasures are. are, We spend hours of time and resources pouring into them. They are our homes, our cars, our stock portfolios, our latest gadgets, our entertainment. Jesus warns us not to put our hope in these things. Oh, I can see how this hope has, I can see how this has been my hope. I, I know how it has rattled me to the very core. I have been stripped of this security. It's been a hard thing for me to learn about myself, not only to admit as a believer that I cling to this material security, but that I didn't make storing up for myself treasures in heaven a priority. All of us are on the brink of having our earthly treasures stripped away from us. You may think that it can't happen to you, but I'm here to tell you that if one of the strongest corporations in the world can crumble, your treasure can crumble as well. It's not something that we like to think about, but maybe it's time that we did it. Look around at our world, our country is bankrupt. our leaders in other countries have been out. Tsunamis have wiped away coastlines, lands, earthquakes have leveled countries, and tornadoes have flattened cities. Why would we hold on to the false belief that we have earthly security? It's time to start storing up treasures in heaven that Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago. For many of us, we have our feet firmly planted in this world and this world only. Everything we do is all about life here on earth. What if we started looking at investing a little bit of time discovering what treasures in heaven is all about? I wrote that back in 2008 and uh, struggled with that. And um, it just seems that even now we have more issues to deal with. We have other things. And I think this is sort of a downer now. I'm sorry to do this to you. (laughs) We will lift this up at some point here. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what kind of I've been struggling with all week, thinking, oh, God, how can I share this? But God is just working in my heart. It's so big in this area. Um, the question that I have for you out here is, um, we're going to look today at that verse, Matthew, we're going to start with Matthew 6, verse 19, and it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My question for you is, what is your treasure? I've got three lines that I just want you to write down. Think for a minute and share it on your tables. What is it that you treasure? What are your treasures? Discuss that around your table. Sort of subdued, subdued conversation today. I kind of brought the room down, boy. Um, I'm sure probably a lot of you on your list, you would have your relationship with the Lord, something you treasure, your family, your family members on there, your husband, your spouse, your your um, your grandchildren, your children, those things we treasure so much. And then I don't know what to put on your third list, on so your third spot, but um. I just want to, as you think about these things that you treasure, and this is just a personal question for you to think about, But what is it that you spend the most time and resources on? Is it those three areas that you really treasure? Those the things you spend the most time and resources on. Um, just think of your own in your own life. Um. But I, mean, I have another question that's a really upper question, and this is your next question I'm going to let you talk about around the table. If you lost your entire livelihood... Your job, your home, your possessions. What do you think that would do to you? How do you think you would react? Just, what, how would that do? If you just your husband lost his job, you lost your home, and maybe some of you have had to to look at that situation. When, but just, how would you react? Well, that question that I just asked that you just were sort of pondering for a moment there, that question became a reality for Chris and I back in 2008. Um, brokerage firms were closing the door. You know, we saw them, some of them closing the door. We had no idea that if, if Merrill Lynch would be doing the same thing if he, if he was going to lose his job. We didn't know if we'd lose our house. We still had the business goals gem that was uh, a lot of energy. <laughs> but, um, So I had to ask myself that very real question, if I lost my home, which I dearly love, and if Chris lost his job, and if we went back to a very simpler life, would I be okay with that? And you know what the surprising answer was when I had to really wrestle with that, is that I said to myself, I would be okay. And I loved that discovery. I would be okay with a a whole different lifestyle. I could could live with that. And I loved that discovery when I had to really look at that face-to-face about myself.
1: But ever since that
0: time, I've also discovered that things and stuff and retirement plans still has a hold on me. Um, I hate admitting that, but I still want my home to be perfect. I still want to make sure that we have enough financial resources. I still want to go on fancy vacations. I still want my stuff. And it's been a battle that I've had. I believe, though, that as a Christian, that this is what is the exciting part of, about this: is that uh, that. Um that God has not let me go on this. And I know it's the one area that I just can't completely surrender him. And he has not let me go. He keeps bringing stuff up. And that's why I'm talking about it today. Because He just, he, it, it's, it's phenomenal how he keeps working in my heart. He keeps challenging me. And I can look back and see that I am radically different than I was a, a, just a few years ago. And I just love that. Um, God's desire for me is to find success in all areas of my walk with Him. Every single area. And He's not going to let any of us go if we have an area that we're struggling with. I don't know what you guys struggle with. And I don't know that this issue is completely something that you don't even... uh, It's not something that's an area of struggle for you. I, I, I look at, at my, like, as I think when I'm working through lessons, I think of my own heartstrings table, and, and they're just such amazing women, and they've just got this life, they're just doing life so well, and I think, is this going to be something to apply that, to them? Um, and, and so maybe some of this won't be something that relates directly to you. Maybe you're at the opposite end of the spectrum, and you're just trying to figure out how to survive and um, had enough resources. But um, I think no matter where we are on the spectrum of how we deal with money and stuff, I think God has a word for all of us today, and that's what's exciting for me to teach it. I just want to set down a few um, of the things that, um, that just as, as parameters to start with, and um, one of the things that um, that... That I have learned that is that this area of, of money is very important to Jesus because it is a heart issue. And that the stuff that we have is, is important to Jesus. In fact, he said more about money than he did about prayer. And that says how much he um, it, it, it's important to him. Our stuff, our money, our things in themselves, they are not bad. And, and I think that's something that's a first fill in on your bank. That our stuff, the money, the stuff that we have, the blessings of God, these things that God's give to us, they they are not bad we remember in the beginning God created the earth and he created things and what did, what did he say they were he said they were good Yes, um, that it, they only become bad that apple even that apple in the garden was good it only became bad when mankind chose to disobey that's when it becomes bad so mm-hmm. that other fill is it, it was obey when we, do, we choose to not obey and then it becomes bad um, the most important event in history uh, affirming that matter was good was when Jesus entered into the world. All of a sudden, matter, Jesus who was spirit up in, in heaven, came down as, as matter, as something in his incarnation as matter. And it was very, very good. And he combined that for the first time with spiritual things. Um, from that point on, matter, Jesus... And spirit became one, bond of one. And he used to, multiple times in Scripture. You're going to see it all throughout Scripture, where he's going to talk about something very physical, and it's going to have a spiritual connotation. As we look at some of the parables about the kingdom of God, it's like a mustard seed. He takes a physical thing, but he makes it something very spiritual. Um, there. We, we hear when, we, when Jesus teaches that man cannot live by bread alone. He's talking about a physical thing, but on a very spiritual level. So all of a sudden, everything that Jesus teaches us about um, in, in the physical world, we can apply it in a spiritual sense, too. Um, and uh, our bodies, as we learn, look, know, we learn from, are not only physical, but we're spiritual. The combination of... the sp- the spirit that comes in with when we have the Holy Spirit, we're, we're a combination of both physical and spirit. And God cares about the spiritual side. And um, he wants us to be successful in this, our spiritual law. So when Jesus is speaking about money or matter or man, and more frequently than he does about prayer, he knew that the human person is a mysterious combination of both the body and the spirit. And he wanted to address the whole person, our body and our spirit. And so that's why he gave us this warning in Luke 12:15. I put that in your notes. He says, then he, Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Um, that's the first um, main point there is that the abundant life will never be achieved through the accumulation of, and I left the blank there. You can fill in whatever you, you like to accumulate, um, but or just put stuff. But the abundant life will never be achieved through the accumulation of whatever. I've got a gal in our home group that we've talking about this, and she loves to accumulate shoes. <laughs> so you can put whatever you want to in that area, but abundant life will never be achieved by the accumulation of our stuff. And I want you to think about that for a minute. What's a what, stuff that drives you? Um, does getting more of something motivate you? Does it excite you? Does it just, um, when you think about shopping or whatever, does that satisfy you in some way? Um, we know intuitively that, get, that our uh, life does not consist in the abundance of our stuff. But why do we keep on wanting more and more things? I want, why do we keep wanting to have more stuff? Let me just wrestle with that question around your tables a little bit. Why do we want more and more stuff? Go ahead. Okay, so what are some of those answers? You guys want to tell me I'm gonna write them down. What are some of the reasons why the shout out why we want to acquire more and more stuff? Anybody come up with anything? Poor when we were little. And we make
1: that immediate
0: gratification, excitement, stress relief. So I would um, avoid. I think someone over there should avoid. Still avoid. I'm just writing down here for fun. This is the fun to write. <laughs> what else? Did come up with anything else? Status. What? Status. Status. Exactly. It's pretty. it's pretty. You know, I thought of that too. That idea that that, I, that there's a creative part of us that we really like to make things nice. It's, God created us to be creative, and and so to buy stuff and make things beautiful is it's a good thing, I think, you know, it's, it's, these are all bad things, so, any others that you want to throw out there? What, rock band? <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, well, you get the idea. It. It's fun to just kind of see what it is that we, uh, why we, um, uh, why we want this stuff, why is it, it keeps, we, it, what does it do with inside of us? Um, there, um, did I have another question? Yes, I did, um, uh, Okay, uh, I've got a quote there that I really like. I thought this was really good. It was written by William Temple. Jump ahead. Um, William Temple, who was a, a great theologian, lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and this is what he said. He said, and I thought it was really good, he said, The spiritually-minded person does not differ from the materially-minded person. Chiefly, in thinking about different things, but in thinking about the same things differently. In other words, the spiritual person looks at things differently, just thinks about stuff differently than the materially minded person. Um, So what I'm going to do today is to start um, to point out maybe not for you, but for me, what I needed to do to start thinking differently about stuff. Um, Possessions in themselves, they hold a a deep, there's this deep fear inside of us that we're just not going to have enough. And so we feel there's this inner, somehow this security thing. we just don't have enough. And so we go out and we... um, We we buy more stuff, you know, You go out and buy more stuff, and then we find out that that didn't really fill that void that you were talking about. And so it's just this onward circle, so then we keep trying it again. Well, maybe this will fill this void. We just kind of, it's this onward circle that we have. Um, um, Another question I just wanted to throw out with you that... For you just to throw out answers to me, is what do we often do with our surpluses, the abundance of our possessions here in America? What do we do with the stuff, the extra that we have? What are some of the things that we do? Goodwill. goodwill. Okay, very good. What, garage sales. We pack our extra stuff away. If we have, if we have extra uh, abundance of money, um, what, do you, what, is, what do we as Americans sometimes do? Save it. Take a vacation. All these things. Buy a bigger house. Yep. Yeah. We upgrade our lifestyle. <laughs> some of the other things that we do, we even go into debt. Even if we don't have surpluses, sometimes we'll just go into debt because we see these things out here that we think are going to give us some extra um, satisfaction. Um. But Jesus tells us a different way how to go about this. He's got a a story that I'm going to relate to, that we're going to turn to today. We're going to break away from Matthew a little bit because um, in Luke, Jesus enters this parable that talks about this idea of of money and surplus. And so I want you to turn to Luke 12, and we're going to look at the the parable of the rich fool. And that's where we're going to go today. Because this parable... When you look at it, it's right before the um, our main verse that we're going to end up with here, and it just so happens that Luke enters this parable in to make it make the point a little bit better. So we're going to look at that at it there, um, and we're going to look at that and see if it can kind of change some of our thinking. Um, the context of this parable, as you turn to it, is there's two brothers and they have an inheritance. And the father has died, and so the older brother who got all the inheritance, the younger brother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I do about this inheritance? I'm not getting my portion. And uh, Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with mediating this, fought, this fight between this inheritance. And instead, um, he uh, he gives us this parable, and we're going to look at it now. And it starts on in verse 16. It says, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Now I want you to notice here, we're going to break away, but that he's already a rich man. So we're not talking about, he's already got plenty of stuff. He's, he just had an unusually good crop. As Jesus is telling us in this story. Um, the... And from that, I wanted to make two different points. But storing up for ourself is not in and of itself wrong. I put that down in your notes. Um, In in all all of the New Testament, this um, idea of being... wise and prudent with your money and making sure you're not a burden for your brother or for your family. is That, that is all good. Um, Jesus is not commanding us against this kind of storing. But Jesus is protesting against the kind of storing of that is a symptom of greed and acquisition of the love of money and that love that will take us away from God gives us the independence away from God that he seems to allow. So I just wanted to make those two points. This guy, he's already got plenty, he's already got his storeroom all um, filled, and he all of a sudden has this abundance of, of crop. And so he thought to himself in verse 17, and I want you to notice this, that he he was speaking to himself. He had this abundance of crop, and he didn't bother to go and say, God, what should I do with this? He didn't go to his wife, I don't know if he has a wife, It didn't say that he, he didn't consult anybody, a friend, anyone. He's all alone and he says, so, what shall I do with this abundance of crop? What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So um, he builds a plan, he has a plan, and his plan is to build bigger, he says. He says. And so then he said to himself, again, he's all alone, this is what I'll do, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And as I was studying this uh, this parable, <laughs> I just saw myself doing that. I mean, i, I, I gotta admit, you—I I put this lesson together a few weeks ago, and um, I, I just could see this was me. I, I when we had uh, uh, Chris would get a raise or he'd, he'd have more, we would build a bigger house. We would buy a different house. We went from this house, and then then he'd do something else, and I'd go and get another house, and then I would get another house, and I kept um, whatever level we were at, not being content at that level. I still wanted to do something bigger with what we were, so had what we had, and it just broke my heart. I just could see myself in the story as this rich fool that decided I needed a bigger house. Um, Maybe your thing is, is not a houses, but maybe your thing is that constant drip, drip, drip out there that says you need the latest new gadget, the latest new thing, the latest new outfit, whatever it may be. Um, I think we just, we think we need this stuff and do we really think, that, should I have this stuff? You know, we have extra things. To, do we consult God and say, okay, look at this. I have this. What am I supposed to do with this guy? You know, instead, we think, oh gosh, that, that new i6 that's out there and I have a new phone and I, I that would be really neat and, um, you know, it's this constant thing that we have. We are constantly had this drip drip in our culture of these being tempted to do a little bit more with what, what God, what we have. So, anyway, back to our story, verse 19. He's got a plan, and it's now for the future. He says, Okay, and, and I'll say to myself, he's talking again to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But the result is not what he expected. Um, the voice of God enters here at this point, And you can just, all of a sudden, hearing God's voice there. His, and he says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He says, you fool. Here you are. This parable started with two brothers fighting over this inheritance. And it ends up with, who's going to get your stuff? Where is it going to go? Um, and the reality is, he, he had no idea where his stuff would go. Um, it, it could go, we, don't, we have the same reality. We have no idea where our stuff will go. Um, and then Jesus concludes this parable with these words He says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And that big butt is there, but is not rich towards God. So it's the two opposites here. This is how anyone who stores up for himself, but is not rich towards God. It's this big comparison. Well, we're going to look at some lies here and some truths that we can take away from this, this fun little story here. Um, and the first lie that I want you to look at is the rich fool thought all of his stuff was his. And if you notice, when he, when he read it back there in verse, um, I don't know, 17 or 18, but he talks about my barns, my grain, my goods for myself. And I think this is just how we in America look at our stuff, too. We think of it as my stuff. Um, we think of it as, you know, that it's, we earned it, we, we got it, it's my stuff. Um... But um, there's the, another wise man who is uh, Ambrose, and I don't know much about him, he's another theologian, but I love this paragraph. this quote he says, "The things that we cannot take away with us are not ours. Compassion alone follows us." And I wrote, I put in there a verse that um, goes along with this. and it's Psalm 24:1, and it says, "The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it." Um, And that is the truth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. It's the Lord's stuff. So that truth is, all of our stuff is the Lord's. Everything that you think and you call mine is really the Lord's stuff. Um, I don't know if you remember, one of the things that I took away when I was studying for the um, Lord's Prayer, when he said, give us our daily bread, our, that idea, it's, it's, God just bless us and give us stuff so that we can bless others with what we have. It's, it's that idea that our stuff is not our own. It is, um, it is for us to share, to, to, to give to others. Um, and I just, that whole thought. Paul teaches us that there are two reasons. I put this down here. It's sort of a side thing, but I thought this was important. Paul teaches us that there are two reasons to work for money. One is to not be a burden to others. Um, and, I, and you can look that up later. That's I just put the where you can look it up there. And the other is so we so that we can help those that are in need. Those are the really the two reasons that we have this idea of work and and, and, and money. I want to ask you a question. Do you think of your stuff as your stuff? Um, is it your house, your car, your bank account? The thing God just broke with me that way as I was doing that is I was studying this. I. I because I do. I, I, I'm very thankful. I always thank him for my things. I say, thank you, Lord, for my house, for my family, for all this stuff. But I changed my prayer life that day, and I said, thank you, Lord, for your house that you blessed me with. Thank you, Lord, for the, the, the wonderful family that you gave me. Thank you, Lord, for the, the pond that I love to sit by. Thank you, Lord, for your, your blessing. Th- these are your things that you have just put into my life. And um, as, I, as I just prayed that, it just it just gave a whole other dimension to what uh, of, my, of my stuff. It was really, it just made me think, this really is uh, um, the Lord's stuff. The second um, lesson or lie that is rich in the story of the rich fool is that the rich fool thought that a person created in the image of God can be fully satisfied with food for the body. And... Um, He imagines that the self is animal-like and that its highest pleasure and greatest form of satisfaction is eating and drinking. And we could add to our day driving fancy cars or having the latest gadgets or electronics or going on side vacations or on and on and on. But we think that this is um, how we can be fully satisfied. Somehow we just believe that this is how we find satisfaction in, in this world. But there's another psalm I want you to look at, and that's in Psalm 42, 1 through 2, verses 1 and 2. And I have this in your notes as well. Um, and it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What, where can I go and meet, or when can I go and meet with God? This is something that I don't know that we often realize, that we have this, not only this this desire for all this stuff isn't really what we're searching after. We're really, we have a soul, we have a spirit, we have the Holy Spirit of God working inside of us, and what we're really thirsting for is more of God. Um, The truth, number two, then, is we are spiritual, and we have a soul, and our soul has a need to be with God. Our souls can only find true satisfaction by connecting with God. Um, We have this inner need, and that is really the void that we're trying to fill as we keep searching for all this other kind of security. In the book Soul Keeping, I don't know... um, it's a great book. It's written by John Orford, and we've been reading it. But they have a whole chapter on, on, on that their soul needs to be with God. Um, and he writes in that, he said, and I, I put this all in there too, so you can look up the verses if you wanted to. But it, he says, John Orford says, If you read through the Bible, you get the sense that the soul was designed to search for God. The Hebrew scriptures are almost obsessed with this thought. The soul thirsts for the mighty one. It thirsts for him like parched land thirsts for water. It lifts itself, itself up to him. The soul, it blesses him, it clings to him, and it finds rest in God alone. He goes on to say that the soul seeks God with its whole being because it is desperate to be whole. The soul is God smitten and God crazy and God obsessed. My mind may be obsessed with idols, my will may be enslaved to habits, my body may be consumed with appetites, but as St. Augustine said, my soul will never find rest until it rests in God. And we contrast that with this rich fool that keeps thinking, and we see this all around us, that we'll only be satisfied when we have more stuff, and when we have more food in our, in, our, in our bank. And then I'll be happy, and then I will be satisfied. Um, we see that all around us. Um, so the, but the, we have a lie number three, and this one is that the rich fool thought that only about life on earth. That should blank here. He didn't understand that his soul, his self, was not his. But it's on loan from God, who could demand his life at any time. Um, and how well I, I, I know this, this part. The truth of the matter is that our physical lives here on, on earth are on God's timeline with eternal spiritual implications and obligations. We don't know how long we'll have. We don't know if we'll have 30 years. We don't know if we'll have 60 years. We don't know if we'll have eight years. We have no idea how long we've been given. But, but um, as you think about that, that it, it's, it's a, a blessing from God, and we have to make the most of the time that we have here because it has spiritual implications. There and with that, also some obligations. Um, what we do here on earth, no matter how long we've been given, Has its implications in the spiritual world in our eternity. Um, Jesus sums up this parable with these words. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. I want you to talk around your table a little bit about what does it mean to be rich towards God? What are some real examples of that? How can we be rich towards God? Hopefully, you came up with some good ideas of how you can be rich towards God. I knew you. I know you would. But there's this one quote here that um, I really love. I love this this quote that I put in here. Um, it's again written by Saint Augustine, and he's talking specifically about this um, this issue about. Now, this parable that we're looking at. And he says, he, the rich fool, did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. Think about that for a minute. I just love that. The rich fool, his grain all went into um, his barn, his storeroom. But had he taken that grain and fed the poor, that treasure would have gone with him into heaven. I just think that's such an interesting thought to think about. Um, how he chose to use his overabundance. um, um, And so so we are all responsible for um, what we do with our extra, our material possessions, and how we spend our days on our life. Um, Jesus cares about the whole person. He doesn't care just about the body. He cares about the body, and he cares about our soul. He knows that we have physical needs, and he also knows that we have spiritual needs. He knows that we have this sinful nature that's going to be at war between us. I want you to turn back and um, look at Matthew 6. Go back in your Bibles to Matthew 6, and we're going to end up in, in where we're supposed to be, back in Matthew. Look at verses, um, and we're going to look at verse 24. Jesus knew we would have this battle in, our, in, our, in us, and he says here, he gives us another warning. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either, this is verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Uh, I get all defensive when I read those words. I just, because I know much of my life I've been chasing after this money master. And so I read that, and I think, oh, I think I'm totally devoted to God, but why does this still have this hold on me? Um, this mentality that we have in America of this dream, um, that we just have to have more stuff, that we need in order to be successful, we need all this stuff. Uh, um, but Jesus calls us in this parable, he calls us fools, and he calls us that not out of judgment or condemnation, but he calls us that out of love, Because he cares about our souls, he cares about our eternity with him. It's 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 out of luck. Because there's this war that's going on between your soul, between God and money, and this is this battle that that he knew that we were gonna struggle with. So how do we stop chasing after this? How do we stop doing that? I want you to go look back up in in verse 22. There's a, a, a verse there that seems to be kind of out of place from what we're talking about. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Um... I don't know how many of you have cell phones here, if you want to admit it now, but I have a, <laughs> have a smartphone. And if you do have your smartphone, you might want to um, just look at your emails. And I'm going to pull up my emails today because I just thought this is an interesting exercise to look at, to kind of um, see what 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 our eyes are looking at, what are our eyes watching. And I, um, I looked... Um, some of the things that just are coming across right now, Pottery Barn and, and Amazon.com, a lot of Facebook stuff. I've got I Disciple. that's a good one. Um, a couple people, <laughs> mostly not. The um, Wesleyan Church, Linked updates, Lightway Women, uh, Women's Sonoma, just goes on and on, all this stuff, Bed, Back, and Beyond. There's one here I got two days ago, but i got so many here that it's hard to find. This is the one I got two days ago, and I just thought this was really, really interesting. Did you know that um, National Espresso Day is November 23rd? it's coming up it's coming up and then back and beyond wanted me to know that it was coming up and um, so it sent, it sent me a whole bunch of coffee machines that i could buy to celebrate <laughs> and the one you know I, I just think this is just fascinating because i just i could not believe this they're all 20 percent off and um there's one that's 200 dollars, but on um, this particular with this event it's only 160 dollars. Yeah, and it's just such a great deal. And then all oh, but here's the DeLonghi Magnifico XS Compact Super Auto Espresso Cappuccino Machine. It is normally $899, but today you can get it for $719. You can save so much. Oh no! Oh my gosh! Oh, look at this! The Magnifica S Super Auto Espresso Cappuccino Machine is fifteen hundred dollars, and today you can get it for twelve hundred. You can save three hundred dollars today if you want this. Okay, no, it gets better. We'll see. It gets better. I clicked on it. Now it's going to want to. I want. Okay, so it, this one here is called the. Prima Donna S. Deluxe, digital super auto machine. And it's on. It's normally $3,000. It's on sale for $2,400. $600 bargain. $600 off right now. And now, the Prima Donna exclusive auto cappuccino machine, everyday retail price of $3,500. It's now on sale for $2,800. It has a chocolate function that makes mojito and cafe mocha. So, <laughs> I think this is the darkness that we see. We look at this and we just we can stroll through this stuff and we can find ourselves. Oh gosh! I, I mean, I even like I, I love to watch HGTV, but you just see that in all these perfect houses and, and how we have to have things perfect. What we look at, what we continue to put into our mind, is what is is what is is registering there, and we have to get away from that. We have to start looking at the light. Jesus goes on, and he says, "There's one other way in which we can." Um, get away from searching after this world of chasing after stuff. And I think it's really interesting in Luke because he tells that when he, in Luke he says, he, says he, he, he turns to his disciples. So he tells this whole parable he tells this whole story to you know he's talking to the masses about the, and, and telling them the parable. But then he turns to his disciples. You don't see that in Matthew but if you read it in Luke you would see that. So he, and he goes therefore and and I think that's so sweet because what he's saying he's saying okay you you are my disciple you are my believer this is what I want to say to you he says these words with such compassion because he knows he's just got done saying this this war that's going on between our heart between God and money it's a very curt, curt um, statement that he makes and then he turns to us and we're going to read it in verse twenty five starting at twenty five this is what Jesus says about how we can get away from this chasing after that he says and he says it with such compassion goes, Jesus says, to you, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Jesus know, knows us. He walked this earth. He had this, he, he, he was physical. He knows how we are going to struggle with this issue. And he says, I've got this covered. You can trust me on this. I've got this covered. I will take care of you. And I just love that. Um, that he says, he's got it covered. And as we... Um, as we have been studying this uh, semester about finding this kingdom, we were learning that it's radical and it's revolutionary. And this idea is radical and it's revolutionary because it's completely different than what you see the whole other, our whole culture is searching after, it's chasing after. We are called to be different. We are called to be radical. And that brings me to the... The last truth that I want you to think, think about is Jesus teaches us that in order to find this abundant life, we need to seek his kingdom. That's where we're going to find the abundant life. And this kingdom is not pa- act, or passive. It's not something that's just going to happen on its own. It's active. It's something that we actively have to seek after this kingdom. And it can be hard. In fact, Jesus tells us that, 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 I'm going to, that a rich man... It's harder for rich men to enter into that kingdom of God than it is for a a camel to go through the eye of the needle. You've heard that before. In fact, it is so hard that it's impossible. Because the reality is, a camel can never go through the eye of a needle. You've heard people explain about the eye of the needle being some doorway in Jerusalem wall or something like that. But... Jesus said that it's 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 so hard. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. That is an impossibility. But then he goes on and he says, "It's what is impossible for us is possible for God." It's not about us doing it. It's about God changing us from the inside out. And this is what I've been discovering, uh, what God is doing about me. He is transforming me from the inside out. As I see, have see, sought His kingdom, as I've, as, I've, as I've just buried myself studying and learning, He has changed my heart. He keeps bringing up these issues. He is the one that does the work in, inside of us. We have to start seeking Him, looking to Him, asking Him what we're supposed to do with our blessings, how we can share them, how we can use them. That seeking Him... And then he will give us what we need. He will take care of us. We can trust him with that. I've learned how to trust God with that. And one final thing that he's teaching me is that all of this stuff about knowing this truth, you can know it as long as you want. You can say, yep, this is something I believe. But unless you start obeying, it's not really your truth unless you start walking in that direction, unless you start uh, doing the things you know you should do in little ways, whatever it may be, going away from, from the things that are tempting you, taking your blessings this Christmas and seeing how you can bless other people with them, whatever it may be, how you obey is what is becoming, is, it will be your truth. Um, that's how you actually live out your convictions, that idea of be- believing. Um, and it'll become your story of transformation. I've got a final question here. Um, I wanted to ask you, which truth do you need to start living out more? To start obeying radically so that you can see your life as a living trust testimony. Is it that you, the abundant life will not be achieved by having blank? Do you need to just start processing in your own mind and saying to yourself, okay, I know I get a lot of feeling really good when I go shopping, but that's not how the abundant life is. That's something I need to start working on, whatever it may be. The abundant life will not be achieved by having whatever it is that you're struggling with. Or is it that you need to realize that all your stuff is the Lord's, that it's not just yours. We are such an abundant country, and we all have more than we need, but it's not ours. It's for us to bless others. Or is your truth that, that you think that um, all our days are the Lord's? Do you, do you need to start thinking, you know what? I always, I'm one of these people that thinks, all right, tomorrow I can do it. The next day I can do it. You know, I'll get my act together in the future. Are you one that needs to know that your days are numbered and they're the Lord's? And he wants you to, to appreciate this day and serve him this day. Or are you uh, one that needs to to, to grasp on the truth that my soul needs to be with God? That you just this is where you need to work, most. You need to spend more time just being alone with the Lord. Or the final one, the abundant life comes about by seeking God's kingdom abandonly. I made that word up, it's with abandonment, but abandonly, seek his kingdom, abandonly, wholeheartedly, with all your heart, trustingly, trusting that he's going to take care of you, obediently, obeying what he says completely and radically. Um, Just have a few minutes, we've got a few minutes here to, what area is the Lord pricking in your heart that you maybe need to start um, living out a little more? go. Okay, um, I don't know what you, where you were at, you were having lots of fun talking about that. But, um... I just want to thank you for hanging with me today on this lesson that's been kind of a struggle for me. And I think as we head into this whole um, season in front of us, this most commercialized of seasons, why do you just think about seeking God's kingdom? Thinking of how we can get away from this. Instead of trying to have this perfect Christmas-type atmosphere or Thanksgiving, what does it God really wants you to do with this season? How can you seek Him more in this season in your life? And share that with your families. And share that with those that you love. Uh, Timothy, I put this last verse, I thought he summed this up pretty well here at the end. He said in First Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, he says, Command those who are rich, and I, I, I think we all know that we're in the top 1% of the world, so he's talking to all of us here. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I think that pretty much sums it up. Let's. Um, I'm going to close this in a, in a word of prayer. Father, um, I just thank you so much that where we struggle, whether this issue or in any area, Lord, you do not leave us there. You, you want us to be just totally, completely surrendered in all areas of our life, Lord. And I just thank you for that. I thank you for all these gals who have come every week and are seeking you. They're seeking your kingdom in such amazing ways, Lord. I see what they're doing in their lives and in, their, um, in all areas of ministry. And I just thank you for them. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon them. I pray, Lord, you continue to work in their hearts as you have worked in my heart to to change us to be more like you. We love you, Jesus, and we just ask that you, um, that all these things, um, that you bless us and that you be glorified in this teaching. It's in your holy and your mighty and your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. We just wanted um, to express our appreciation for our teachers, so some of us kind